How many bank accounts should you have as an Amazon seller? What about credit cards? At the end of the day, how do you keep profit first? We're going to talk about this and more on today's episode. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. As FBA business owners, we've put thousands of hours of hard work into growing our businesses. But what happens when you've grown the business as much as you can and don't have the time or resources to take it to that next level? Enter Thrasio. Thrasio has acquired over 125 Amazon businesses from owners just like you. With more than 600 experts at the top of their field in brand management, growth marketing, creative, and supply chain, Thrasio's operating team can grow your business exponentially. Once you've sold your business, simply celebrate a lucrative exit and watch your personal wealth grow while your brand flourishes in Thrasio's portfolio. To connect with Thrasio's deal team, visit thrasio.com slash helium10. That's T-H-R-A-S-I-O dot com slash helium10 for more information on if your brand is a good fit for Thrasio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Serious Sellers Podcast by Helium 10. I am your host, Bradley Sutton, and this is the show that's a completely BS-free, unscripted, and unrehearsed organic conversation about serious strategies for serious sellers of any level in the Amazon, Walmart, or e-commerce world. And we've got another one of our uh, guests here who uh, was a featured instructor in our recent release of Freedom Ticket 3.0, and she's going to talk about a, a subject that, you know, sometimes we're, we don't, it's not one of the sexy aspects of uh, of Amazon, like, you know, how, where am I ranking on my keywords, or how can I get the, the, the best PPC strategy, but it's a very important topic um, about profit, you know, which at the end of the day, guys, guess what? Sexy or not, that is, you, you got to be in this game for profit, guys. So this is very important. We're gonna we're gonna go over some of the strategies. We're not gonna give the entire, uh, you know, module and freedom ticket away, but just something to whet your appetite so you guys can go in there and, and check it out. So, uh, Cindy, welcome to the show. How's it going? Hey, Bradley. Thank you. It's going good. So glad to be here. Where are you located? I'm in the middle of nowhere, Arkansas. In the middle of nowhere, <laughs> Arkansas. Did you go to? Are you a Razorback? I am not. I am a Wolfpack from North Carolina State University. So okay, all right. So how long have you been in Arkansas? Um, probably about sixteen years. Moved here with my husband's job and uh, fell in love with it. We're in the Ozark Mountains, and it's just just a beautiful, beautiful area. Okay, cool. How did you get into the the e commerce space? Like, I don't, I don't know almost anything about you. Have you ever sold yourself on Amazon, or how did you get connected in this space? No, I have a Shopify store now where we sell some of our financial products. But um, I I got into the space because my daughter, um, I was homeschooling her. She had some learning disabilities and I needed a, I needed something to do um, to generate a little income and uh, to be able to help with all of her tutoring. And I come from a corporate background in uh, yeah. finance and at that time, it was about 2014, the um, the cloud accounting world was just starting to open up. And I'm like, I can do this from home and and be with my daughter and, and make a little money. So I started just a traditional accounting firm and had local clients. But I read Mike McCallowitz Profit First, the first edition that came out in 2014. And I'm like, this this is the, the problem. This solves the problem that I'm seeing with my clients. So I started um, actually uh, training with Mike 
And one of his very first pieces of advice to me was you need to concentrate on a niche. And I had a few e-commerce clients and I, I liked the flexibility that they had, the, um, you know, they, they weren't looking for me to pop into their store and pick up receipts. We did everything electronically. And um, I just felt like it was a good fit for what I was trying to do to create that flexibility in my life mm-hmm. and also, um, uh, you know, kind of dovetail with what they were trying to accomplish. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think, like, like I said, this is something that it doesn't really matter what level of seller somebody is. It doesn't matter what your business model is in, in e-commerce. You know, you're, uh, I'm a wholesale seller. I'm a drop shipping seller. I'm a private label seller. I sell on Walmart. I sell on Amazon. I sell on Shopify. At the end of the day, you know, unless you're just doing this for, for fun, and even if you're doing it for fun, you, you can run out of money. <laughs> You've got to <laughs> keep in mind your profit. And I think everybody understands, hey, you know, profit is first, but profit first is not just two words. It's actually kind of like a, this program, you know, that, that, that you're talking about. So, so let's just say, um, in general, j- just to like, you know, help people understand, I think they understand the general concept of profit. Like, Hey, if, if I, uh, you know, whatever money I invested, if I'm making a profit off, if I end up with more than, then I put in, a, I'm making a profit. And if I don't, uh, I'm losing money, but, but you know, th- this concept goes a little bit beyond, uh, just that, right. It does because, you know, you can make a profit on paper, but at the end of the day, it's how much money you have in your bank account. And so what Profit First as a cash flow management strategy is, is it's a, a way to use bank accounts to give you visibility into how your money is coming in and what you're using it for. And once you have that visibility just straight from your, your bank dashboard, you get so much real-time data that you're you're better able to make decisions on a day-by-day basis without all the accounting reports, which we love to do, but let's face it, they're hindsight. If you can look at your bank account and know how much money you have set aside for inventory, how much money you have set aside for your taxes, and you know that kind of real time, you're in a much better position to to make good decisions and to not get yourself in trouble of overextending yourself on fun, distracting things that are nice to have. But uh, at the end of the day, um, if you invest in those things are not going to, they're going to take your money away from the the next payment for inventory, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. Agree. Agree. All right. So let's just dive a little bit into how it is different than just, all right, here's my expenses and here's how much money I have left over. Let's just say I'm a, I'm a brand new Amazon seller. I want to, you know, get on the right foot here to start, you know, understanding what numbers I need to look at to, to really know, am I putting this profit first? So what kind of procedures or, or, you know, things should I get in place from day one to, to get started on the right foot? Okay. Here's what I would do. First time seller type clients. First of all, you want to separate your um, bank accounts. And I recommend having three to get started. Most people, most businesses start with one bank account and everything goes in it. And to me, that's kind of like looking into a pot of vegetable soup. You don't know how much, how many potatoes went in there, how many carrots, how many beans. You can't really tell, right? So when you do that with your bank account, you don't know how many of those dollars really need to be earmarked for buying your next round of inventory to replenish what you're selling. You don't know um, what your tax bill is going to be and how much money you're going to have to pay on April 15th. So by having three bank accounts, um, that's where I like for people to start. One is to have your regular business bank account um, where, where everything comes in. 
but then create a separate bank account for your inventory. And so when you get your deposit from Amazon, what you will do, or Walmart, whoever you're, wherever you're selling from, when you get your money in, take the funds that you get in and pull out the replenishment cost for inventory. So if you get $10,000 in um, from Amazon and you know $3,000 of that was for the cost of those goods that you just sold, pull that $3,000 out and put it into a bank account called inventory so that when you have to place your next inventory order, the funds are sitting there for you to make that purchase. And then the, the other bank account that I recommend from the very beginning is a profit account. After you've taken that $10,000 and moved $3,000 over to inventory, you're going to be left with $7,000. Move 1% of that over to your profit account. And what that's doing is it's starting from the very beginning to build you up a rainy day fund because things happen. Our inventory gets lost or uh, we get suspended. Things that are out of our control, we need to have a little bit of cash sitting there in our rainy day fund. So the funds are building up in that profit account. And every quarter, what you do is you take half of that out and you reward yourself for being a business owner, for taking a risk. Maybe you take your family out because they haven't seen much of you because you've you've been you had your nose in a computer trying to figure out your advertising. Right. So you take your family out. You do something fun to reward yourself for being a business owner. The other half you leave in there to just build up to be that rainy day fund for when some inevitable situation happens. Okay. Makes sense. Um, you know, personally, I haven't done that. So I might have to take a look at, uh, the way I'm, uh, uh, I'm doing things here now. What if somebody doesn't have, doesn't need the rainy day fund and it just keeps building up or, or like, you know, at what point can I pull money out of there or, or, or am I using that at all to, to like give myself a bonus at the end of the year or something like that? Yeah. Well, you know, every quarter you're going to take half of it out. So it's kind of mm. like um, this investing in stocks. And as a owner in a company, you get the dividend every quarter. So you'll be taking half of it out every quarter to do something for yourself. But as that rainy day fund builds up and you realize you've got enough funds sitting there to cover a, an immediate emergency, maybe yeah. it would cover one uh, shipment from your supplier or cover you for uh, a couple, um, couple of um, weeks of your payout. When you feel like you've got your rainy day covered, then you can use that money for other aspects of your business. Like um, maybe you're wanting to if you're a new business and you're feeling like you're overwhelmed with things, one of the questions I get asked a lot is, when can I hire somebody? Well, as those funds start to grow, you can look at it and say, okay, I have this excess funds here. I can use that to start to, to hire a VA to help me. Or maybe you want to hire a bookkeeper at that point, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, so they build up. You can either put them back into use for something in the business, or you can take it out as a bonus at year end if, if that's... Um, if your business is operating fine and you don't need it in the business. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Now, some of this ties into um, something I had never heard about since until you, you mentioned it in your freedom ticket module, but can you explain about the, uh, the Parkinson's law thing there? Oh <laughs> yeah, I can. Parkinson's law basically says you use what you've got. So in, in the, the example I really like to use is toothpaste. And back before COVID, when I was traveling all the time, I would have this little tiny tube of toothpaste that the dentist gave me. And if I was going to be gone for a couple of weeks, I'd use just a little dab of that toothpaste because, 
you know, why, why would I pack a whole tube of toothpaste? But if, if I'm at home, I've got the big tube of toothpaste, you know, you put a whole lot of toothpaste, uh, toothpaste on your toothbrush. The idea is when resources are scarce, we, we use them more carefully than we would if there were a, a, a plentiful amount of something. When something is plentiful, we let our imagination kind of run wild and we start figuring out, oh, what can we do? So if you have only one bank account, like that big pot of soup and everything's in there and it looks really um, full that you wake up in the morning, you check your bank account, man, I got a lot of money in here. Then you start thinking about mm, maybe it's time I could get that new computer I wanted, or maybe, you know, yeah. maybe I give myself a raise without really thinking through, I'm going to have to pay out for my inventory next month. And that's going to, that's going to hit me for $50,000 or whatever it is. Yeah. Because everything's all in there. We start using it as if it were plentiful, uh, like that big tube of toothpaste just by separating your money into smaller buckets with an intended purpose for um, that money, just by separating it, we can see how much we really have. So if you're setting aside that money in your inventory bucket and you know you have to buy inventory every two weeks, you start to get a sense of that cash flow for inventory. Cash flow for inventory really flows uh, very different by every business. I mean, it depends on whether you're getting supplier you know, suppliers down the street versus, you know, across the world and having to put stuff on a boat. So your your inventory cash flow, just the timing can be very different. And you need to learn that pattern so that you can start to see how the dollars are building up in that account. Are there going to be enough there for when I have to make that deposit or pay the final uh, payment for, for my merchandise? So um, that, that's what Parkinson's law, Parkinson's law is all about. It's just helping you see, um, really the, the human condition of we use what we have. And so if we can understand better what the purposes are for things, we can put that Parkinson's yeah. law to work for us. Cool. I like it. Now, now guys, you know, if you want to find out more information about some of these things that we've been talking about, um, uh, her module, she's got two of them where we go in depth into some of these uh, strategies uh, she's referring to in, in week three of Freedom Ticket 3.0. So make sure to go check that out, uh, any of you Helium 10 members out there. Now, just in general, you, you know, you you actually, you know, have your own accounting uh, firm, if, if, not, if I'm not mistaken, or bookkeeping right. firm, and and you deal with a lot of Amazon sellers. And, and what I'm curious about is I'm sure you have – new clients come on to you as Amazon sellers, but maybe they were handling their own bookkeeping before, or maybe they were having just a, a general bookkeeper, you know, handle their stuff. What is some of the biggest mistakes that you see? Like when you start opening up and like, well, you've been doing that or they were doing what? Like, what, what are some of those like mm, eyebrowsing or eyebrow raising things that you've seen when you, when you bring on somebody who maybe hasn't used uh, somebody like yourself who, who, who actually knows about Amazon? Well, first of all, um, I think a big mistake is people record just the deposits that they get in. So if you get a deposit from Amazon, uh, you know they've already taken about a third of it, right? <laughs> so yeah. they've, they've taken that money out um, on your behalf and, and, and managed gift wrapping and shipping and whatever else. But that's invisible. Many accountants will just record the deposit rather than record the total revenue sales that you have and then back out all those expenses. And 
The reason that's an issue is because Amazon's going to file a 1099 for you and you want your books to kind of match what Amazon um, has sent in on your behalf. So if you're showing um, just the deposits coming in and not uh, not the whole transaction of total revenues, you can you can imagine if if Amazon is filing a report on your behalf that shows you sold a million dollars, but you're filing something that said, no, my revenues were only seven hundred thousand. You're, you, you're raising some red flags. People are going to say, what's what's this difference? Yeah, you can explain it, but you don't want to have to. Plus, the, the problem with that for you as a um, as a seller, as a business owner, is you don't have good visibility into what your gross margin is. Really, every business owner, their their first metric ought to be what's your gross margin and Amazon fees as a percent of, you know, Amazon sales along with your cost of goods and, and, you know, other aspects of cost of goods, you've got to really analyze that to understand what your gross margin is. And gross margin is, is the thing that's looking at that on a regular basis will tell you when something's going wrong, when fees may be out of whack. We've looked at it from, for some clients who, for some reason, their weights got off and all of a sudden their fees got Mm -hmm. way out Mm -hmm. of whack. And, um, you, you know, know why? Because they're not using uh helium 10 alerts, which, which <laughs> tells you when that changed. I, I mean, that literally happened to me. I, it was so mm-hmm. funny because I, I obviously work here at helium 10 and, and it's so, that's why this is so embarrassing. Uh, it, I, there was this clip I have where, um, the original project X case study that we did where I was showing people how to set up a alerts. And it was so funny. I mean, we, we do everything live. Like we record stuff live. We don't like practice it and stuff. But like we, we just want things to be genuine. Right. So there's actually a clip in project X where you can see me and Tim Jordan going over helium 10 alerts. And then I'm like, wow, look at this coffin shelf. It looks like on this date, Amazon changed my dimensions. And at that time it was like two weeks after it happened. I just happened to catch it. I was like, man, I, I gotta go check on this. But what happened was I never checked it. And like a year later I went back and I was trying to do some audit audits. I'm like, it, it doesn't seem like there's as much profit as there should be on this. And what happened was I never went and and, and called Amazon on their mistake. You know, it, it was erroneous. So sometimes Amazon changes dimensions. Like if you flubbed up on your, or if you're, if you're, uh, if you're doing something wrong where you're saying your, your product is smaller than it should be, yeah, Amazon's going to correct you. But sometimes Amazon just measures it funny. And yeah. in this case, these two inches resulted in like $2 per unit of extra charge or something like that. And, and when I calculate it was like $5,000 over eight months we got charged extra for this one product. Now I went back in and I got a lot of that back, but not everything because Amazon doesn't refund you. You only have a, a window. Like you can't just say, oh yeah, in, in 2018, you guys char- overcharged me. They're like, too bad, yeah. you know, statute yeah, of limitations. Yeah, they narrowed so. that down recently. Yeah, too. yeah. But 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 guys, you know, that's, that's very accurate that, you know, first of all, make sure you have Helium 10 alerts installed so that you know if Amazon, Amazon changes. But uh, when we're talking profits and we're talking your bottom line, one inch or two inches here or there can really have a huge effect, especially when you you know expand it out over a year. Yeah, and just like you had an alert, you had um, you had an opportunity to see it happening, but you're you're busy. Everybody's busy. It, it escapes your mind. But if you look at your financial statements, there's another jog where you can go, oh wait a second, th- this is off, and I think I know why. It's just another data point to tell you, hey, I better look at this. So so that's a that's something that I see people doing that. Um, if you put that data in your financial system, it can go to work for you so you can truly understand your profitability. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So what else, um, any horror stories that you can, (laughs) I don't, you know, we don't want to scare people out there, 
But hey, sometimes you need to be a little bit scared about what could happen if you're not doing things the right way. So anything, you know, you don't have to give clients names or anything like that or what well, their yeah, product no. was, but, but any, any, anything that, 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 that can give a little shock and awe effect here uh, on why people need to really be, 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 uh, you know, careful about some, some things in the accounting world. Let me tell you a, a, a happy story from Profit First. It could have gone the other way. Okay, it, in fact, okay. it did go the other way for, for a bunch of people. Back um, last, was it March timeframe, 2020 March, um, Amazon was announcing that they were only going to accept essential items, right? I mean, remember remember the panic yep, that we yep, all were yep. feeling like, okay, what, what is fixing to happen? I was feeling it for my clients and wondering how are they going to make it? And I got... I got a ton of email from our clients. We have about 150 clients and I was getting a ton of email and we went out with a, with a uh, offer to help forecast cash flow for them over the, for the next few months, because we knew their whole world had been disrupted. So we went out with that email and I got these kinds of email back. One was, Oh, we're good. I've got profit first set up. I've got plenty of inventory funds set aside that since I won't be buying inventory, I can reprogram. We've got my staff covered. We're good. Don't thank you so much for profit first. Then I got these other emails back that were like, oh, please help us. We don't know what we're going to do. Um, we don't know how we're going to pay, pay MX next week. And um, we're struggling. And so, you know, the, the pandemic really did make it clear to me how Profit First was benefiting our clients. We knew it because we knew they were taking vacations. I would get a note from people saying, I paid my mortgage off. You know, that kind of stuff is really cool. Um, but when yeah. the pandemic hit and people didn't know what was going to happen next, it was so nice to get these notes saying, thank you. We're good. Okay. I like it. Now, uh, here's, a, here's a question. Um, you know, I think in the traditional sense, you know, accounting is nothing new, obviously, you know, it's been around for thousands of years, but, uh, when, when you think nowadays about just, Hey, I, I need a personal account, you know, I'm not, I'm already past the stage where I'm using, what are those, what are those, those, those websites that TurboTax or, or something like that, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. It, is people usually like having somebody local, like, like an office, like, Hey, I'm going to go into the office and let, let's look at our books together and this and that. But if we're saying, Hey, you know, you probably should consider somebody with experience in, in, in Amazon, chances are you're not going to find somebody local who who is an expert on on Amazon seller. So what do, would you say to those people who's like hey man I really love being able to just like sit across a table from my accountant and 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 go over things but I have nobody around here who who's an Amazon seller specialist how is it okay that I I can you know let's say you I'm in California you're in Arkansas let's say I made you my Amazon accountant we don't even have a face to face meeting like what do you say to people who are, might be skeptical or, or worried about that kind of thing? It's interesting to me. Um, my clients are all over the world and I've not met most of them. Mm -hmm. uh, very few of them mm -hmm. I, I've met because we happen to be at a conference together. Our clients' business is all on computers, all dealing with people they have no relationship with. You know, ordering supplies from uh, India or China where you never get to walk into the factory and, and sit down in the conference room or, you know, watch it being made. Those things just don't happen hardly at all. Few few people get that opportunity, but it's a, it's a very few. So the technology has just made it so that we can have visibility and access to everything we need without having to waste your valuable time. Our, our whole approach is... We try to do it in the background for you so that you don't have to, to spend your time thinking about it. 
And <laughs> for those people that want an in-person relationship, I totally get that. And, um, you know, there, there may be in a larger metropolitan area, you could find someone, but in a small area, like where I work, um, there's, there's just not that kind of specialty. So, uh, zoom con, uh, zoom calls and, uh, just having the confidence that somebody has your back, um, allows you to have that peace of mind without actually having the face-to-face relationship. Yeah. Makes sense. Now, what what are some some you know some strategies now that again somebody who 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 has been selling on Amazon for a couple of years and but they now they come to you what are some easy wins out there for some Amazon sellers that you'd probably say that more than half of the people maybe don't even know about or maybe they aren't they aren't doing I I think the um profitability side of things where I see people struggling is they really um they're not examining their gross margin at the product level or they did once and then they mm. set it and then they never go back and revisit it. And over time, costs have changed, their price has yep. changed, their shipping has changed. And when we work with our clients, one of the, the biggest challenges is getting their cost of goods sold recorded correctly because the assumptions that they made once um, as we apply that over you know, a year or two's time, they're just not making sense anymore. And uh, we have to dig in and go, okay, there's something going on with either the way you've costed things. And and it's really interesting because you could have, um, you know, a hundred different products and 90% of them by count are costed correct. But say the, the top 10 are costed incorrectly, but they're your big sellers. That can throw everything off from a profitability standpoint. So doing some analysis about profitability on your top sellers, on your low sellers, that kind of profitability analysis has to be done, you know, a couple of times a year to ensure that those factors that change on a regular basis are not causing your profitability to just go off the rails. Okay. And then is this done? Is it best to be, do this at the marketplace level as well? Like, for example, you know, back in the day, you know, a good 95% of Amazon sellers, hey, I sell on Amazon USA, one and done. Now, especially in the last two years, people are like, oh, shoot, I can't have all my eggs in one basket here. <laughs> I need to start selling on Amazon Canada. I need to start selling on Walmart. I need to start, I need to have my Shopify. You know, I, I need to go to, to Amazon Europe. So w- w- when you're considering bookkeeping, um, do you suggest doing it at the you know the actual SKU level, which or which necessarily might not, might might be just this you know I, I have this one coffin shelf and I'm selling the same exact product everywhere. What's my overall you know profitability, or do I need to be be doing it per marketplace? You need to be doing it per marketplace because while it's really I, I get the um, the want and desire to diversify, but mm-hmm. it's a huge distraction to your time and energy to try to get those um, different international marketplaces spun up and to make sure you're taking care of uh, all the the customs requirements and the VAT tax requirements, etc. So um, y- yeah. you you need to understand are are those various marketplaces really um, profitable for you for the, the amount of attention and aggravation that they cause. Um, the more simple you can make your business, the more profitable you're going to be. You know, I know you have to weigh that as a trade-off against uh, having all your eggs in one basket, 
but don't have multiple baskets of little bitty things that are never bringing you a return. That's a that's a bad investment. Okay. All right. Good to know. Uh, some other strategies uh, uh, or or tips. You know, we have this thing that we always say a thirty second tip. Uh, uh, that well, that's a little feature that we have of this of of this show. But you know, you can take longer than thirty seconds. But maybe some quick hitters uh, of do's and don'ts in the bookkeeping world for Amazon, Walmart, uh, uh, e commerce sellers out there. Mm, okay. Um, I would say from a cash flow perspective, a do is to make sure you're setting aside replenishment inventory dollars so that you don't get caught up in having to borrow money uh, for your inventory. Um, many of our clients, they are they don't have enough margin to also then have to pay interest on their on their product. Don't take your eye off the ball with regard to your operating expenses. Operating expenses can de totally deplete anything that you would put in your pocket. So, um, you know, keep, keep your eye on the ball. Keep those operating expenses low. There's a ton of resources out there for you that you can get, like on YouTube, like with your Project X, Project X with podcasts like you're doing. There's so much out there. Um, don't just be throwing money away at trying to get the latest uh, education. I see it all the time and I, I have a course too, but you really want to be sure that you're getting a return out of that. Uh, it's a time suck and you really need to ensure that um, that you're going with something that's reputable and it's going to pay off for you. Operating expenses, people just don't pay attention and then then they have no money. Yeah. In general, you know, like I've I've had like, you know, my, my aunt is, is a, an accountant and I have like personal people I've always used and stuff. So I'm not really sure what, how, how things operate out there, but, but, you know, agency or firms like yourself, how does it work? Like, am I paying like this retainer fee or am I only paying when you guys do, you know, some, some, some quarterly audits or, or it is, does it depend on the size of, of how many SKUs I like, like <laughs> how, how, how do I how go about hiring someone like yourself? How does that work? Well, um, the way we work in our firm, we try to handle the back office accounting for you so that you don't have to do a lot of it, right? So uh, we look at the activity level that you have. How many channels are you selling on? How many uh, transactions are coming into how many bank accounts? Because that's the work that we have to do. We have to make sure that those transactions get coded to the proper place and that, um, that we reconcile those accounts. How many loans do you have? So for us, it's a custom quote based on the activity in your business. And then we charge that um, on a monthly basis. And that's the fee you have for us serving your back as your back office for doing your accounting. And our mm -hmm. process is to handle all those transactions that come to your bank account, get them in the right place, make sure they're reconciled, make sure your inventory cost of goods sold makes sense for the month then generate financial statements for you um, at the um, at the beginning of the next month. So you know how you did. And um, for the most part, uh, our clients, unless they've got things that are changing up a lot, uh, we send them an email once a week with a list of questions. We saw these four things. We're not sure what to do with them. You, you give us some information, we plug it in, and then we're able to generate financial statements. So um, so that's how it works in our firm. You know, if you're hiring somebody to file your sales tax or to file other aspects, pay your bills, do your payroll, which we do those kinds of things at well, yeah. as well, they get a little bit more complicated. But um, uh, for, for the most part, you know, we price that out. This is what it's going to take to serve you for the month. We bill you that on a monthly basis.
Okay, I, I I know you can't give an exact quote here, but I just want people to understand if, if they're being ripped off or or <laughs> what they can expect if they want to go this route. Let me just give you our you know our Project X account. We um you know we've got like you know four or five products in there. Uh, we're grossing I don't know like two hundred thousand dollars a year on it. We we pay all our bills and and we you know we handle all the bank transactions and paying credit card bills and all that stuff. But if our like you know what we want to start thinking about exiting this business. So I know I have to get our, our, our bookkeeping. Literally, we're not doing much bookkeeping at all outside of what's just what's necessary for tax purposes and things. So I need to hire somebody like yourself or a company like yourself to, Hey, can, can you please handle our books so that once we do want to exit, we need to have this available. So is this like, Hey, this is going to cost a thousand dollars a month. This is going to cost 500 to $1,000 a month. This costs 50 to a hundred dollars a month. Like what's the rough, rough, rough estimate of how much I would be looking at. Okay. For, for our firm, we have a minimum of 400 a month because for us to go in and touch the account a couple of times a week mm -hmm. to just be sure that we are doing everything right, communicate with you, it's a minimum of 400. Our average is in the neighborhood of 800 a month. I do have clients that are paying over 5,000 a month. So it, it really depends on how, how complex, how much you want us to do, how much volume of activity you have. But for somebody that's, um, you know, that's this started out, got a little bit of history, wanting to get this off their plate, um, a minimum mm -hmm. investment of 400 a month. Um, and then okay. as the business grows, because, I mean, here's the trade off. You're not having to worry about this much anymore. And you're you're getting things set up in a way you've got good data. Right. And you're setting yep. yourself yep. up for an exit. Then you're going to have time to really focus on the business. And, you know, the idea is you grow the business. As your business grows, we reevaluate it if, if it becomes a material change over time. And, um, and our hope, and, and this is what happens with our clients, they grow. Our, our, um, our fees have to grow, you know, over time as well. But it's because they're able to do great things in their business. Okay, excellent. All right, well, uh, Cindy, thank you so much for, for joining us today. And like I said to everybody out there, um, definitely go back into Freedom Ticket to, to take a look at these two these two modules to, to find out how you can put profit first. But if, if somebody wants to reach out to you uh, to ask for more questions on this subject or possibly to even, you know, procure your services, how can they find you on the interwebs out there? Okay. We're, we're under bookskeep, B-O-O-K-S-K-E-E-P.com. And my email is Cindy, C-Y-N-D-I at bookskeep.com. So I'd love to hear from people. Awesome. All right. Thank you again for coming on, uh, Cindy. And we'll be definitely uh, keeping in contact in the future. All right. Thank you, Bradley. Appreciate you.